All right. Hello, 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 everybody. This is the 10th episode of the Boston Red Sox Unfiltered Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Green. Um, I'm very excited to be here for you. Uh, We got the usual cast of characters today. Uh, We got Dave Latham returning from his absence. He wasn't here on Wednesday. We had Nick Fryer, who's a Red Sox beat reporter, fill in. He did a great job. Thanks to Nick for doing that. But we're very happy to have the irreplaceable Dave Latham back in the building. Dave, say hello to everybody. Hello, everyone. I'm glad to be back. Yes, and we are also having on the show, who has been here pretty much every episode, we got Jordan DeCoe, who's a writer, and Dave's a writer, too. Both wonderful writers over at RedSoxUnfiltered.com. Jordan, say, give a shout-out to the people. Hey, give a shout-out to the people. What's up? (laughs) That was a good one today, Jordan. That was a good shout-out. So, <laughs> we got a really exciting episode for everybody today, a um, lot of really interesting topics, a lot of stuff from this Astros-Red Sox series, which is obviously a huge statement series, it's going to be really big to watch tonight to see if they can split the series, they play Sunday Night Baseball, we're recording a little bit before then, but yeah, they're down 2-1, they dropped the first two games, and they had a really nice comeback win last night, which we'll go over in a second, but there's a lot to extrapolate, there's a lot to talk about, so... So let's get this ball rolling, guys. Um, so on Friday, we're going to actually start from Friday, just Friday and Saturday's games because on the last episode, we covered Thursday night's game. If you want to hear our coverage for that one, you can go back and check out that episode. But yeah, so Friday, it was was supposedly supposed to be a pitcher's duel between Chris Sale and Garrett Cole, obviously two of the best pitchers in the world. Um, but it was not a favorable result for the Boston Red Sox. They lost the game 7-3. to three. Uh, But on the positive side, J.D. Martinez hit his league-leading or tied for league-leading 19th home run, and Mitch Moreland absolutely launched one straightaway center. I think it hit the Houston Astros uh, sign that's like carved into their grass uh, center field wall. Um, but yeah, it was a shot. Um, but... That brought them to within four to three, and in the bottom of the eighth, Joe Kelly entered, and Kelly's been absolutely spectacular all season long, but this one was not his uh, game. He allowed three runs in the frame, including two long balls, courtesy of Carlos Correa and Evan Gaddis, and the Evan Gaddis one, oh my gosh, I don't know if you guys saw that, but he literally, it was a breaking ball, like on the ground, and Evan Gaddis just like went into the basically the dirt and just somehow muscled it out very impressive evan gaddis has got crazy power when he connects but yeah the red sox ended up losing that game seven to three but i think the bigger narrative in that game was that chris sale struggled in his second consecutive start he allowed four earned runs through six innings he did however manage to strike out six and walk just one um dave i wanted to know what did you see from him in this start or even the past two starts that you wanted to talk about all right, so yeah, Chris Sale um, hasn't quite been the same guy the last two starts, but that is a really high standard to hold anyone to. Um, his uh, final line with Houston's game was four runs in six innings, which when you're facing the the reigning world champs who are just as good as they ever were, that's not terrible. It's not great, but it's not terrible. But um, I know there's a few people out there that are not, not freaking out, but uh, kind of a little concerned about, about sales recent slump and i want to just address everyone let them know it's going to be okay because we actually went through something just like this at this point last year so um i'm not sure if 
how much any of you listeners here remember, but back in 2017, Sale had that amazing, amazing start to the season, but he actually had a hiccup uh, near the end of May, beginning of June, so I'm on fan graphs right now, and from May 24th to June 10th, Sale pitched 25 innings, had an ERA of 5, gave up 2 home runs, 14 earned runs, guys were hitting 290 off him, and he had an FIP of 221, which is good, but still, that's not the Chris Sale we had before. In the month of May, his ERA was 424 compared to 119 in in April and 278 in June. So a, a bump in the road is kind of just a natural thing. Uh, he doesn't pitch like it, but Chris Sale is in fact a human being, so they can all they can all be gems. So. Don't worry, he'll he'll iron himself out. He'll be fine. Yeah, and I agree with everything you said. And like, I was looking through his profile. I was looking at his Fangraphs game log to see if I could like find anything that he's done differently, like over the past two starts, in comparison to like the last few, um, or just the entire season. And and there's really nothing different. Like he used the slider in the game against Atlanta a lot, and it got hurt. Or actually, he used the slider against uh, Houston a lot after struggling to get it over in the game against Atlanta. Um, but the slider was ineffective the first game, and it was very effective his last game, and it was just the fastball um, in the most recent start against Houston. But I honestly just think, yeah, random variation for one. It just happens over the course of a of a 162-game season. This happens over, like, 30-plus starts. There are going to be bad starts, even for these seemingly immortal, immaculate pitchers. It, ju- it just happens. And, like, I think we need to point out that he faced two of the best lineups in baseball in the Atlanta Braves and the Houston Astros. That definitely contributed to it. And, and there's literally, like, nothing wrong with his stuff that's meaningfully different. Or even his velocity. His velocity has crept up from when it was slowing down in the first two months. Of, oh, not first two months of the season, but early in uh, April. And actually, for most of April, but his velocities climbed back. Uh, Jordan, what do you think? Um, like, well, the Chris Sale start that, well, yeah, Chris Sale start um, on Friday. I mean, what I saw from from him was that I mean, I, I was watching him, and I just didn't think he was attacking the strike zone very much. And then when he like when he tried to, uh, like he was leaving fastballs like I mean, like middle in or like up and in, and I, I believe he gave up a home run to a. Carlos Correa to, yep. to left field, so I mean, like it was, it was a little odd for me because, like, um, I thought, I mean, Chris Sale being Chris Sale, he would attack the strikes on a little bit more, but I think he he was kind of living on the edges, and then when he tried to attack, he obvi- he obviously got hurt. But I mean, his line, uh, it was tough. To, it was tough to watch, but I mean, he he didn't he only gave up four earned runs, like which which Dave just said that he was facing like one of the best lineups in the league this year. Um, so, I mean, I, I, it's, there's not much you can do when you're facing uh, the, you know, the reigning champs and you're just kind of like nitpicking a little bit. So, I mean, I, th- I think we all agree that like he'll iron himself out. And uh, I mean, his next, we're just gonna have, we're just going to have to see what he, uh, what he has his next start. Yeah, I, I I totally see what you're coming from. So, uh, Jordan, what have you thought of his 2018 performance in comparison to his 2017 performance? Um, <clears throat> well, I, like what I what I really pay attention to was uh, was his postseason um, against against Houston, um, and he's still he like he's still continuing the struggle. 
So, I mean, maybe maybe it's I like I don't know if, if it's the Houston Astros that he has a problem with, but uh, clearly he's like he struggled uh, last postseason, um, and then in this postseason, like and, the, and well, and then this, in this first series against the Astros, he still struggled. So I don't know if it's the Astros or if he's just going through a slump. Or but yeah, uh, I mean he's he's kind of in a rut right now. But like I said, I think we're gonna get we're gonna get out of it. Yeah, for sure. And like the thing about Chris Sale's uh, performance this year in comparison to last was, I mean, he's basically striking out guys at the same rate. The only thing that he's doing really differently, and like I tried to dig deep into this to see if there was something going on. Like, I mean, his ERA is still like a pretty like low three ERA. It's not far from in the two ninety head in twenty seventeen. The only thing he is doing is he's walking a tad. Walking a tad more batters, um, and that could explain the slight regression in effectiveness. In fact, his 2.33 walk per nine is the highest since 2012 for him, and he owns a career 2.07 walk per nine, so it's a pretty stark difference, And but that's still way better than league average. Uh, the league average for a pitcher is like a 3.31 walks per nine, so if Sale's doing a 2.33, obviously he's still going to be very effective because he strikes so many guys out and he limits the quality of contact but the only other thing is he's been a little less effective with his fastball as linear weight numbers on fan suggest but that also could be accredited to the first two months when his velocity dipped a little bit i don't know chris sale's amazing people don't make too much of it he, he's gonna be awesome he is awesome just sit back and enjoy the ride you know dave what do you think dave what do you think about Chris Sale? Sorry, I didn't hear you there. I got a little glitchy for a sec. Um, yeah, basically what you and Jordan said, he's not quite the same guy he was last year, but I feel like that's an impossible standard to hold a guy to. Last year, at least in the beginning at this part of the year, was the best he had ever been, and frankly, he, outside of Clayton Kershaw, I can't think of a better guy that's the, a guy that had a better year than like the first three or four months of Chris Sale last year. So no, he's not doing it quite that well, but he is still doing really, really great. His fastball velocity, um, it wasn't quite what it was early in the year. It seems like that's sort of stabilized as we've gone on in the season. Um, like you said, his control isn't quite what it was last year. It's still well above the norm, but it seems to me like he's his pitch count's getting higher earlier than normal. And he's just, um, his control's still very good, but it's not what it was, which, again, that's expected. Last year was, like, stupidly good. It's gonna, he, he may not be that good again this year, but he's still gonna, he's still gonna be the ace of the staff. He's gonna be one of the top five or ten pitchers in baseball, and he's gonna be, you know, we will be very, very happy to have him. He's gonna carry the staff the rest of the way. Yes, you heard it from Dave. That's 100% true. That's what he's going to do. He's Chris Sale, guys. Literally, sit back and enjoy it. So now we're going to move on to Saturday's start. It was David Price versus Justin Verlander. The Astros started off with a 3-1 lead, and Verlander was, frank, quite frankly, just looking unhittable. Everybody was deflated. I saw it on Twitter. Um... And they were thinking that there was like absolutely no hope that Boston could climb back and win against Justin Verlander. But Boston was really scrappy even when they were going against Verlander and before the 
relievers of the Astros had their meltdown. Um, they were fouling off pitches. They were putting competitive ABs together. And even when they eventually struck out and churned weak contact off of him, they, they, they were competitive. And then something amazing happened. Bogarts got on base uh, against Verlander, and JDM, the great god of hitting, I, I'm anointing... Um, I'm anointing J.D. Martinez, the great god of hitting. I don't think anyone can really quarrel with that. Um, yeah, so he uh, singled for his second RBI of the game against J.V. So it was a 3-2 ball game, and then he came out. And then, yeah, then boom, went the dynamite. Christian Vasquez comes up so clutch in the seventh inning with his first home run of the entire 2018 season to tie the ball game 3-3. And, and it was not a cheap shot either. Christian Vasquez just went so deep to left field, hit off, like, I think it was either, like, the, the I think it was the glass, but I could be wrong. But, oh, my gosh, it was a shot. And uh, then Andrew Benny, uh, Benny Biceps, put it away with a moonshot to right field, making it a 5-3 Boston lead two batters later. And then Kemble notched the save, and, and yes, it was a really nice statement game uh, for the Red Sox. Uh, Dave, uh, what did you think of the, the performance on Saturday from the Red Sox? So, so yeah, um... The Red Sox, the, yesterday's game reminded me in a lot of ways of the 2013 ALCS against the uh, Tigers. If you guys remember that one, um, Detroit's pitching staff was just unstoppable that year. Ironically enough, uh, Verlander was on that one too. But the way to beat them was kind of just the Red Sox basically bet that they could score more runs in three innings than the Tigers could in nine. They just did everything they could to get whatever damage they could on the starter, but get him out of the game, shake him up, and then just tear into the bullpen, which was the best way to attack the Tigers, and it's the best way to attack these Astros. Um, like I said earlier, J.D. did some damage against Verlander, got a few runs on the board, but the biggest thing the offense did was get Verlander out after six innings and have those other three innings to tear into the bullpen, and it ultimately worked. Yesterday's game did have a little bit of everything because it had my favorite um, on inexplicable phenomena, the out of nowhere Christian Vasquez clutch home run to save the day. He has he's good for one or two of those every year. And it seems like every home run he hits, there's not many, but when he does, they are always in huge game changing situations Definitely. like this. So good for Vasquez. We've been kinda of mean to him on this podcast, but you know, he had his day and great for him. It was an absolute blast. Um the game was great. Price did his job, kept the socks in it. And uh, all around, a great game. Hope we can do more of the same today. Yeah, and, and I would also like to point out that Christian Vasquez not only hit a home run, but he also stole a base. It, it, it was the it was the best game of Vasquez's 2018 season. I don't think any of us can argue that. Um, Jordan, uh, Jordan, what did you think of the game? Uh, well, I, ca- I, I caught most of the highlights, and um, I mean... I heard I heard about Christian Vasquez's home run, um, which was you know just amazing because yes we have been roasting him up until this point, um, and then uh, like like Dave said, I mean if all all you have to do against um, not well all you have to do that makes it sound sound easy, but easier said than done. All like like putting the ball in play, get runners on base, just kind of like t- uh, take away at um, at Verlander and like get into the bullpen. I mean, it was a good game, and then obviously we saw we saw Buddy Biceps go yard. Uh, it was a good day all around. Yeah, it was definitely a wonderful day. Um, 
And now on the season series, they've only played three games, but the Astros are now are still up two to one. But before that, there was a lot of clamor around the interwebs that that the Red Sox can't beat hard teams, that they've had a really easy schedule, and that's why that the Red Sox have have been been this good. That's why they're the only forty team, forty win team in the entire league. So, Jordan, do you give any credits to the idea that the Red Sox do not have the ability to beat good teams? Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't catch all of that. Can you repeat that? Yeah, do you, do you give any credits to the idea that the Red Sox don't have the ability to beat good teams? Um, well, I mean, they do have the ability to, uh, to beat good teams. We just, saw, we just saw them beat one of the best pitchers in baseball right now. Um, the theory that we don't, like, we can't beat good teams is absolutely ridiculous because, like, listen, we've gone on an absolute tear for the, like, first two, now, what, yeah, two, three months of the season, and, I mean, it's kind of hard to keep up that pace, so just because we're, like, we kind of have our ups and downs, ups and downs right now, especially because we have... Um, you know, a couple injuries, a couple like big players on the DL right now. I mean, I'm not gonna say we're struggling, but like you can't keep up that pace. And obviously, you're gonna have you're gonna have um, some bad starts from your from your pitching staff, like you know Chris Sale. And you know, it's hard to keep up a pace where you're winning. I don't know, like 17 games a month. Like that's absolutely ridiculous. But you know, to keep up that pace. So I mean, no, I, I like we can beat good teams. It's just. We're kind of struggling to, you know, put it together right now. Uh, well, well, what about you, Dave? What are your thoughts? Yeah, um, anyone who's pushing that narrative, stop reading Dan Shaughnessy. The Red Sox can beat good teams, <laughs> and they have on a fairly consistent basis this year. A lot of people are surprised we have uh, the most wins in baseball, and they're surprised that we can't beat up on the Houston Astros the same way that we can beat up on, like, the Baltimore Orioles. Obviously, you're not going to win quite as many because those teams are better. But if you look at what we've done against the top teams in baseball, um, we've pretty much held our own. Um, the Braves came into town not that long ago. We took two or three from them. They have a great record. The Yankees are, at, at the very worst, the Yankees are the third-best team in baseball. Like, it's the Astros, the Sox, and the Yankees order them any way you want. But we're, we've split the series with them 3-3 so far. And Houston, we just beat Verlander. Now, if you're asking me right now who's the best team in baseball, my money's probably on the Houston Astros. I just think it, it genuinely wouldn't surprise me if they win the next five World Series. They've just built a, an unbelievable roster. However, the Sox do have the tools to go up against to go up against them to hold their own and to win a series if it came to that. Um, I don't know why people think that this team's win total is artificially inflated and that we can't beat good teams. We have been. And this series against the best team in baseball, we've been playing that without our best player, and we won one game and came pretty close in another. So, I mean, I really don't know where that narrative's coming from. Yeah, people I think are forgetting when they're pushing this narrative that this is a Mookie Betts list team. This is a Mookie Betts list Red Sox team. Um, that's their best player. I mean, that's that's not news to anyone. Mookie Betts is that good, and and they're still 
playing very competitively against the Astros. Um, and they are tied with the Yankees in the season series. They, I think they swept the Angels. If not, they took three or four, two of three. They beat the Braves in the series. I mean, they've played some good teams and they've had success. And the only team that's really given the Red Sox a lot of trouble this season has been the Oakland Athletics. And I feel like that's just weird. I, I don't know. I don't know how the Athletics are like been the best team against the Red Sox this season, but that's just how it is shook out. And the thing is, the Red Sox have had a pretty light schedule in comparison to some other teams. But yeah, I think the Red Sox are still just such a good team, uh, pitching staff, bullpen, and even the line. I mean, the lineup's excellent. So I don't think I think this narrative is overblown, and I don't think I would read too much into it. Um, so what I Dave already alluded to this, but I, I want to ask you again. So I'm going to start with you, Dave. Um, what what's up with Christian Vasquez and clutch homers? I feel like he does this a lot. Okay, so yeah, Christian Vasquez and clutch homers. Um, those those of us who um are not, I don't want to be included in this group, but there are those out there that don't believe clutch exists. That um, it's just a fabrication. That anyone who is so called a clutch hitter is actually just a really good player who statistically just gets. Make, just so happens to make good hits in big moments. And to those people, I say, look at Christian Vasquez. This guy is a pretty, let's be honest, he's a terrible hitter most of the time, but whenever big moments come up, he he just crushes it. He's good for an inexplicable bomb, not like, uh, you know, hitting it one foot over the fence. Like, we're talking, I think yesterday's one went like 380 or something like that. Just absolutely shelled it. Um, and he's done it before too. He uh, won last year's my favorite game of last year, uh, the Cleveland, the Cleveland game with the walk off homer in the ninth to straightaway center in sixteen. I remember he uh, knocked a blast off uh, Batansis of the Yankees. Um, I think that was the game winner. It was in the bottom of the eighth. It obviously didn't win the game at that moment, but it was the game winning score. He just, I don't know why he just does it. Um, he only has like. 10 home runs in his career, and I want to say like seven or eight of them were either game game winning or would go on to be the winning score. He's just really good in big moments for no logical reason. I can't figure it out, but I'm glad it's happening. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of when he hits home runs. They're not very uh, often, but when he does them, they are very, very clutch. Uh, Vasquez has eight career home runs and eight career stolen bases. It's kind of weird. Christian Vasquez, I'm happy for him because it's been a really rough season for Christian Vasquez, but he got his moment. It was it was a glorious shot, and it came in a really big statement game. Jordan, what about you? Uh, talk about Christian Vasquez's clutch, his prowess. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, obviously, when you talk about clutch, you're talking about hits that, like, you know, quite quite frankly, mean more than other hits. Um, and same goes with home runs. I mean, if Christian Vasquez only has like seven or eight home runs in his career, but they all mean that that the Red Sox put a W in the win column. I mean, that's all. That's all. Uh, that's all. Like the Red Sox are asking for. I mean, obviously, um, you know, you want a bit, a little bit more consistency. But if the hits you're getting me, uh, means that your team is winning the game, then you know that's 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 great. So you know, good for Vasquez. Good for Vas. Um... 
So moving on here, David Price also pitched splendidly in six innings of three earned run ball with seven strikeouts and one walk. Dave already kind of talked about this. This is a beautifully pitched game. Over his last five starts, he's pitched to the tune of a 287 ERA, which is majestic, and a 325 FIP. So the underlying statistics are right there. It's saying that David Price has been a very, very quality pitcher. Um, it's been a really impressive stretch, honestly, and it's very encouraging. And I'm not going to say much more about it uh, for now, but, yeah, just wanted to get that out there. Um, but I want to ask you, moving away from the, the series breakdown so far, um, uh, Jordan, uh, so we did have some unfortunate news break during this series. Um, Mookie Betts and Dustin Bedroya heading to the shelf. They're on the disabled list. What does their absence mean for, for the Red Sox? I mean, it's a huge blow. Obviously, with Mookie's bat, um, you're missing what, like a top tier uh, bat in the lineup. Um, you're, you're also um, you're also like, leaving a, like a lot of speed on, on the shelf. Um, it's a, I mean, it's a huge blow because he's I mean he's the hottest hitter in the league and he's the, he's our best hitter in the lineup. So um, I mean, that's a huge hit for the for uh, for the Red Sox. I mean, Dustin Pedroia. I mean. Uh, I mean the the glove like you you want his glove in the field. Um, I think we've all like we we've all touched on uh, Nunez, uh, Eduardo Nunez's defense, and then Brock Holt's defense. Um, Holt Holt a little bit more like is a little bit better than than Nunez, but obviously you want um, Pedroia's glove in the lineup, and also Pedroia uh, kind of brings a kind of like, you know, he's a hard worker. Like, he, he plays the game hard. He plays the game the right way. And then he kind of brings, you know, some, ener- some energy to that team. Like, when he's not in the lineup, like, you kind of lose that energy. So, it's a, I mean, it's a huge hit. It's a huge hit. But, like, at the same time, what's great about the, this season is that we're, we're still able to do it with, uh, without those guys. And so, I mean, you're seeing Andrew Benintendi um, just – absolutely kill it right now and he's been like a huge help and then obviously you have JD who's been hitting home runs like a great god as you alluded to um and you know like it's I mean like like I said earlier we're piecing it together and and it's not like we don't miss them it's just we're able to get it done without them yeah now uh their absences are felt they're huge um it's very unfortunate we wish uh, we all wish speedy recoveries to both um Mookie Betts is um departure for the time being is obviously a little more impactful than Dustin Pedroia's, but yeah, you, you miss both of them. Dave, what are your thoughts? So, you know, obviously whenever you lose your best player and the guy that was the lead runner for the MVP award, that's going to hurt the team. And you don't want it to happen when you're going to face the Houston Astros defending world champs. Not a good time. But honestly, and I feel like we're handling it as well as we can. Obviously, there's a huge drop-up from um, Mookie Betts to who's ever next. And whoever next yesterday was Blake Swihart out in right field, I believe, which it was. was just weird. Um, but I think they're doing it. I think they're doing it the right way. Um, I saw in an interview Mookie said that um, it only hurts when he swings. But this is one of those injuries where if he swings wrong, he's done for the year. So they're making sure it heals 100. percent I am 100% all for that. We need Mookie for as many games as possible. So I'd much rather have him definitely around for the rest of the season instead of bringing him back a little early and then maybe losing him for the rest of the year. So take your time, Mookie. Get better. 
In the meantime, we do have options in right field. None of them are great, but it's sort of, um, you know, it, it's manageable. We have enough offense that we can keep the ship going, and defensively, you know, we don't have any great options, but we have guys that can hold the fort long enough. Holt has experience at um, every, pretty much every position except for pitcher and catcher. Swihart's not the worst outfielder in the world, although he's not great either. Um, you can have JD out. You can have JD play the outfield, and you just need to find somebody to DH. Uh, there are solutions, and none of them are perfect, but it's it's um, certainly enough to keep the ship afloat for the week or two that Mookie's gone. Pedroia is a bit more of a problem to me, just because we've seen uh, early on in the year. You know, obviously we have the best record in baseball, and we did that mostly without Pedroia, so we can live without him. However, we're just such a better team with him on the field. Yeah. Uh, Nunez really doesn't bring much offensively, and he's a liability defensively. Holt, more or less the same story. Frankly, I don't know why he doesn't get more playing time. I prefer him to Nunez, but no, me too. both of them are, you know, far, far not far away from being the type of player Pedroia is. So if he's gone for the foreseeable future, that could be a problem. And I'd look about. Um, get it trading for a guy that can fill in a little bit better because with Pedroia's injury history I'm not sure if you can count on him when he does come back staying back for the playoff run yeah so they say it's just precautionary them putting him on the DL and I I do believe them because I, I feel with this injury if it was serious you'd know it by now but still, I feel like you need to have a, a better insurance policy, and you should start looking into getting a better insurance policy. Yeah, I definitely hear what you're saying. Pedroia has struggled with health issues for, for years now, and, and he has been on the field consistently. Um, you do need that insurance policy, but in my mind, that, that guy's Brock Holt. Like he, He's played so solidly in the field, and he's actually been hitting, and he's not only been hitting well, he's been hitting exceptionally almost he's got like what an over 800 ops and with his defense like that's literally dustin bedroy production right there honestly even if he was fully healthy so I mean, he's obviously not the fielder that Pedroia is but holt's fine himself at second um eduardo nunez is a little shaky but there's some offensive potential there i don't i don't know if we'll see it again but he does have that and zui lin in his own right is okay i guess but yeah maybe you're looking at Maybe you're looking at some infield depth at the trade deadline, especially with Raphael Devers' struggles, which we will get to later in the show. Um, but yeah, I, I, I definitely hear you. Um, but Dave, um, we're going to talk about the, this topic, and I know you, you brought this up. Um, and it's, it's pretty captivating, honestly. Um, um, so Andrew Benintendi has been leading off. He's been batting first for the Red Sox in Mookie Betts' absence. So, so Dave, do you think they should consider keeping Andrew Benintendi in the lead-off spot and move Betts down in the order once Mookie returns? So I've gone back and forth on this about 15 or 16 different times in my head over the last few days. But um, right now I say stick with Mookie as the leadoff guy. So, if you look at Benintendi's stats, what he's done since Mookie's been out of the lineup, he's been incredible in that leadoff spot. And, in theory, you want your best hitters to be 1, 2, and 4 when everyone's healthy. And when everyone's healthy, J.D.'s been clean up, Mookie's been 1, Benny's been 2. So that's great. They're your three best hitters. They're For in sure. the three most important positions. But, 
Mookie's been hitting leadoff, Benny's been hitting second, and generally you want the guy with more power to be hitting second, which is Mookie. So traditional logic might state you want I agree. Um, Mookie hitting second, Benny hitting first. And if you look at Benny's numbers at first, um, so far uh, this past week, which is 42 plate appearances, which, again, not much of a sample, but he's hitting 378, has a WRC of 191, He's um, walking 10% of the time, on-base percentage 429, slugging 676. There's a lot of other numbers here. They're all really good. Yeah. So why am I bringing this up? Because that pretty strongly counteracts my case. Well, Mookie can do all of that, too. And Benny brings enough power that if you put him second, that's, fi- that's fine. But... um. I think you really got to look a bit more beyond just what they do in the batter's box, and you need to start looking at what they do when they're on base. Mookie Betts is a much better base runner than Andrew Benintendi. That's oh, yeah. really not up for the debate. It's probably the weakest part of Benny's game, where it's um, Mookie's as good as that as he is at everything else. So I feel like I'd much rather have Mookie on base for Benny than I would Benny on base for Mookie. And then... Um, Another thing you got to consider is who's the guy hitting ninth because Benny's the biggest knock on him. He's been better recently, but the biggest knock on him in the batter's box is that he struggles against lefties. And if you look at who's going to be hitting ninth, more often than not, it's going to be a lefty. You could have Jackie Bradley. You could have Brock Holt. You could have Sandy Leone. Uh, there, there's a few righties you could put down there, but more likely than not, it's going to be a lefty. Yeah. And if you have back-to-back lefty-lefty, I feel like – that's a situation other teams could exploit, whereas if you have put Mookie on top, you have the lefty-righty-lefty thing going on, so teams wouldn't be able to get away with just throwing a lefty in there for two batters. So I feel like that's another thing. So, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to either way, but for me, you still got to put Mookie back on top when he comes back in. Yeah, you, you just outlined some tremendous points that I, I didn't even think about. Like, I didn't even think about the lefty situation, um, but... but with lineup optimization, I'm not extremely well-versed in it, so I'm not going to claim that I know something that I know a lot about, but I do know, I guess, a little bit. Um, the from like Away from conventional wisdom here, there were people who did studies, and I think we've talked about this in other podcasts, and they have basically determined that the most valuable spots in the lineup are the number two and the number four guy. Obviously, Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez are your two best hitters, and if you're going to follow that, you probably should put them in the 2-4 hole respectively um, and then have Andrew Benintendi bat first. But then again, like Benny's really good in his own right, and Mookie Betts is going to get on base more at the top. Um, and, yeah, he's a better base runner. You said that too. That was an amazing point. And the thing is, like, I think I'm going to stick with Alex Cora and the Red Sox brass with this decision because – it worked out. Like I hate to be that guy. Like I obviously, I you always want their team to optimize wherever they can, but I think they that it did work when Betts was batting first, and I I think like a lineup of Mookie Betts, Andrew Benatendi, Mitch Moreland, J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts that is an imposing top five, any way you slice it. So yeah, I I think Mookie Betts should stay at the leadoff spot, but. Like, if they put Ben Attendee there, like, I would not be up in arms. I'd be like, you go. You go do this. Let's see how it works. And and I bet you it would work out great either way. Uh, Jordan, what do you think about this? Yeah, I'm with Dave on this one. Um, I mean, you're getting pretty much more or less the same, the same bat in the lineup. Um, 
with with Luki and and Andrew Benintendi. You like you have the same power. Um, but yeah, I think I'm with Dave again. Uh, it comes down to uh, speed on the base test, which obviously is is more so um, Luki Betts' game rather than Andrew Benintendi. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it comes down to speed at that point. Um, I think obviously Betts is a better leadoff spot because he can hit and also uh, seal seal bases, and then um, Andrew Bet- and Andrew Benintendi is more so a, a power option. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, I will. Uh, well, Mookie's probably more of a power bat than Andrew Benintendi too. But but Andrew. Yeah. 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 So to, to add to that, um, when I like, I agree that Mookie's the is more of a power hitter than Benny. Pat, I agree with you yeah. there. But um, it's not like Benny can't hit for power. I mean, look what he did yesterday. He absolutely demolished a baseball. So it's not like hey, there's a powerless hole at the number two spot. There's Benny not. can still knock it out, albeit not quite as good as Betts. I feel like Mookie's ability to hit it out, like relative to Andrew Benintendi, doesn't cancel out all the other pros that come from putting Mookie first. So. No, yeah, I definitely agree with you, Dave. Like, I, I think we're all in the camp of probably keep Mookie Betts first. If Andrew Benny, Benintendi were to bat first, like we wouldn't be horribly angry about it. So, I think I think we we had a nice little agreement there. But Dave, you're probably honestly not going to agree with this next segment, and um, it's about Raphael Devers. And we, we we all, if you listen to this podcast, you should know about Dave's affection for Raphael Devers. Um, but man, he's been struggling. Uh, so through the day, he has a 2.26 batting average, a 2.80 OBP, a 4.01 slug, and he's been worth 0.1 F WAR all around. He cannot seem to hit a ball for his life at this point. I mean, not that that was a hyperbole, but his plate discipline's really, really been been uh, in whack, and he's not even hitting for opposite field power like he used to. Uh, Dave, I'm going to start with you here because I know this is near and dear to your heart. What do you make of Devers' struggles? All right, so um, first off, I want to pitch your article here. You did a really, really great breakdown into uh, Raphael Devers' recent struggles, um, touching on all that stuff, plate discipline, um, and everything else that's going on with his re- recent rough skid. And I'm going to have to agree with most of what you say. Um, he, uh, But at the same point, I feel like so much of this is he's 21. The yes. league's figuring out how to pitch to him. And frankly, they've, lear- they've learned uh, if you throw it low and away, he's having a tough time with that. Devers needs to take the next step. He needs to learn to adjust to that, to not swing at those bad pitches, um, make make pitchers come to him and start using all corners of the field like he used to. This is a pretty natural part of deve- of a player's development, especially when they're coming up to the majors so young. I mean, basically the film's out on the guy. He has almost a full season of tape that people didn't really have going into the majors. They had, like, rough spray charts from the minors, but what what a guy does in the minor to minor league pitching is a lot different than what he does to major league pitching. The league's starting to figure out what he can and can't do. That's why he's struggling right now, and now it's Devers' turn to adjust to that and to uh, figure out how he can get back to being the player that we know he can be. Um, As far as resting him goes, because a lot of people are saying he shouldn't be an everyday player anymore, to an extent I agree with that. I don't think he should be out there um, every single day of the week. I think he's probably... He should be the main guy, but I'd definitely rotate Brock Holt, Eduardo Nunez in there a bit more. Yeah. But 
any, there are people that just straight up call him for his outright benching. No, he's 21. This is part of the deal. Um, it's not. It wasn't going to be perfect the whole 162 games. So this little bit of a rough patch, and it is. It's ugly. I'm not denying that. But it's part of. It's just part of what you get when you start a 21 year old. He'll get over it, and he'll be better. I'd say within a month. Yeah, and I even said at the end of the article, like, the kid's just 21. He's still got so much potential. We know that the raw power is just so tantalizing. Um, but, yeah, as I said in the article, like, he's kind of lost the ability to hit the fastball, especially in comparison to 2017. Um, he, he's not hitting to opposite field nearly as much. Uh, in 2017, he had 15 extra base hits the other way, including, like, five home runs, 10 doubles. This year, he only has five which and three of those are doubles and two of those are home runs. That's a little concerning to me. Um, and again, like th- against four seam fastballs, he's only slugging like 440. And then I think against two seam fastballs, he's only slugging like 362. Fastballs are the pitches you're supposed to be able to belt. Like those are the pitches you're supposed to take advantage of. And Devers has, has uh, fallen off considerably in those regards. But yeah, as you said, like he, the pitchers, and I put that in the piece that I wrote the other day titled Piecing Together Raphael Devers Struggles. Um, his pitch charts, like he's he's struggling against the low and away pitches, and that's where that's where pitchers are throwing him. They're exploiting him down and away. Um, but he also struggles against high and in pitches too, uh, albeit not as big of a sample because they're really going for the low and away against him. But that's still an issue for him. So if he does adjust okay. to hit the low and away pitch, he still has to deal with. Um, that I think there's a hole there too, um, but yeah, there's some issues with his play coverage, and we haven't even touched on his defense and the mental lapses that he has that that are so prevalent. And and um, there there's a lot still to like with him, and he's 21, and especially now with Pedroia injured, you don't really have the infield depth not to play him every day. Um, I don't want to. I, I still think that you'd rather have Devers than Eduardo Nunez. Brock Holt's a different story, but now Brock Holt's like your starting second baseman, right? At this point, so what? what, what you're just gonna we're just gonna roll with Nunez and keep Devers on the bench, or even put him in Pawtucket? That just doesn't make a lot of sense to me, especially when you're so thin on infield depth as is. Uh, Jordan, what do you think about his struggles? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm the same way as Dave. I mean, he's 21. Um, he's he's, go, he's going to have his struggles, and obviously he's going through a, a growing period right now. Um, and I mean, we all we all know how great of a hitter uh, Devers was. I mean, he he really hit dinger after dinger when he first came up. So it's not like it's not like we we don't know he can't hit. But um, I mean, like Dave said, he's 21. Um, he's going to have to figure it out. And, you know, but like we should be able to see him hit like pretty soon. So, I mean, it's just a growing period right now. Yeah, de- definitely can see where you're coming from there. Um, this is a this is a Dave specific question. So, Dave, I'm going to ask you this personally. Um, ha- has have these struggles like have they changed your perspective on what we should expect from Raphael Devers in the future uh, for you at least? Um, not drastically, no. I mean, I I knew that there were going to be highs and lows. Everyone should have known that. I didn't think, I'll admit, I didn't think the low would be this low. But I do believe that he's still going to figure, I do believe he's still going to figure it out. Um, it's only a matter of time, and he'll go back to being a really good hitting third baseman. Not very far from now. It's sort of similar to 
a few years ago, Travis Shaw, he got into a little bit of a slump um, after a heart, after he got called up. Um, he came out firing, got into a slump. We traded away, traded him away. Now he's great. Um, Raphael Devers, City. same deal. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Uh, I miss Travis yeah, Shaw. The only difference I'd say is Devers has a much higher ceiling than Shaw. I agree with that. Uh, Travis Shaw's doing very well right now. I, I think. I think. Yeah, he is. A, Devers has a much higher ceiling, but I feel like he also has a lower floor, if that makes sense, um, a deeper floor at least um, than Shaw. I think Shaw is like kind of a lock to be a one point five to two win player at at minimum for the next couple of years, and then he can top out at like five wins. And Devers, I think you could go you could go below the negative line for him, but also the power is just so. It, again, I've said this like 20 times, but it's so he's got a lot of power. The man's got mammoth power. Um, but we're actually going to move on to our last segment of this podcast here. And and it's it's a pretty cool one. So I've noticed on Twitter that people are like, they're doing this really cool thing where they go position by position and rank their favorite players at each position. Um, I think, Dave, you did one for the Patriots. You did one for the Red Sox. I've been seeing a lot of people do it. I wanted to do it myself, but I never got around to it. Um, we don't have time to like list out our every single player at every single position, um, but we do have an abbreviated version that we came up with today. So the, the way we're going to do this is we're going to have a hypothetical dinner with three Red Sox players, managers, etc. of all time, and we're going to see which each of each one of us has picked uh, as our three. So Jordan, uh, if you had to go to dinner with three Red Sox player man- players or managers, who would it be and why? Oh, um, well, I mean, currently uh, I'd have to pick uh, Joe Kelly just because he's not, he's become like a historic um Chap, uh, I guess, factor into this Yankees Red Sox series. I'd have to pick his brain about um, that fight against uh, it's not Austin Maddox, but uh, man, I forget the player that he that he punched. But Tyler Austin. Anyway, um, Tyler Austin. Right. Uh, I'd have to I'd, I'd have to pick his brain about um, getting in the fight with Tyler Austin, uh, Dave Roberts, because of that steal back in '04. I mean, that was historic. And then third one, uh, ma- manager wise, um, you know what? Just out, out of the blue, I'm gonna say uh, I'm feeling John Farrell, John Farrell or Alex Cora, either one. Um, I mean, I'd have to talk about talk to John Farrell about you know the firing and then just you know what what he's doing, um, and then Alex Cora from like an analytical perspective, um, you know just how how he. How like how he tries to run his team on an analytical point, and how like you know the benefit of being a player coaches and managing. Yeah, good good picks there. I think it would be, you could also ask Dave Roberts what's gone wrong with the Dodgers this year, but no, they're picking it up too. Um, but this is a Red Sox podcast, so we won't get into the LA Dodgers. But yeah, th- th- those are some nice picks there, uh, Dave. Who are you going with? All right. Well, my first one's going to be Kevin Euclid. Um Two podcasts ago, I talked about Uke and um, how I grew up watching him at the Wolf Spinners. He was my first favorite player. So, I mean, he's me and him go way back. So I just always, you know, that would be really cool if, like, me and him got, you know, like if he came over for the little imaginary dinner party. And, you know, he's Tom Brady's brother-in-law, so that's pretty neat, too. 
so maybe he could invite Tom because that'd be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Number two would probably be Pedro Martinez. I really don't think I need to explain that one. Pedro's the greatest. And number three would be David Ortiz because David Ortiz is also the greatest. I, you know, who doesn't love Poppy? Who doesn't love Pedro? Yeah. Um, I feel like that would just be the best dinner party ever. I could just relive 2004's uh, <laughs> World Series team right there. Yeah, that seems like a really fun team, very lively uh, dinner dinner party right there. Um, so I didn't actually think about mine before, like just like actually getting to this segment of the podcast, but. I feel like I want to mix it up. Like I want to have different eras, different perspectives, so I can get like an historical, um, historical player in there. So I, I had to pick between Ted Williams or Carlos Stremski. I'm gonna go Ted Williams just because he was so excellent. I want to know like how the game was played back then, um, how he was so great, and just the development of 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 his him personally, and even Fenway Park in general, and how the Red Sox, um, yeah, developed over the years. Another guy I would go with, I was going to go Pedro Martinez like you, but I kind of want to be original. Um, so I'm going to go Pedro Martinez too. And then um, and then lastly, I kind of want to pick someone from this current rendition of the Red Sox just because, you know, that, that would be fun to get an inside look at the team right now. Um, so I'm going to go Mookie Betts. Love Mookie Betts. He's the best. Um, yeah, that would be interesting. I can get like an inside scoop on how his injury is going, how his rehab going. See if I can find anything about. Um, yeah, that 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 would be a lot of fun. That would be a good dinner party. Um, but yeah, guys, I, I think that's actually going to do it for this episode, episode ten. We made it to the big one. Uh, or are we on nine? No, we're on ten. We're on ten. Yeah, the big one zero. Uh, it's been a blast doing it with these, doing these with you guys. Um, Dave, do you have any last-minute comments before the show ends? Um, no, I don't think so. I think we uh, covered it all. Go Red Sox, and hopefully we can uh, at least split the series tonight. Yes, hoping for a split Rick Porcello versus Charlie Morton at like 7.35 on Sunday Night Baseball. Should be a riot. Uh, if you have to choose between that or the Cavs-Warriors, choose the Red Sox-Astros because the Cavs and Warriors are in it every year. Jordan, what about you? Any last words? You know what? I um, as we were all sharing our, our picks for for the best Red Sox dinner party, I forgot uh, Terry Francona. I mean, he's he's a great manager for us for a while. Good pick. And um, you know, he he would just be you know, like one of well, I meant one of the best managers, but like he'd be an iconic manager to uh, sit down and have dinner with. Yeah, honestly, I, I'm going Terry Francona, best manager of, uh, in Red Sox history. Honestly. Um, yeah, I, I love Terry Francona. He gave me a foul ball once. That was pretty cool. I don't know. He signed my baseball. It was a really good experience. I was a young kid. Terry Francona just lifted my spirits. Didn't think I had any chance of getting a my ball sign. And then Terry Francona pointed me out individually and was like, throw it here, kid. And I was like, me? You serious? And then, yeah, Terry Francona is a really nice guy. And it would also be really interesting to see like what went into that 2011 collapse. I, I don't know if you guys have ever read his book about it. Very compelling. Very I try to forget it. You try to forget it? <laughs> yeah, it was a... Uh, yeah, but I, I love Terry Francona. Would love to pick his mind. I actually thought about picking Terry Francona, so good call, Jordan. But yeah, that's going to do it, guys, for this episode of the Boston Red Sox Unfiltered Podcast. Um, we should be doing another one in during the week, uh, probably like Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, probably smack dab in the middle Wednesday, but, but we'll keep you updated. Obviously, we do one every Sunday. Um, but yeah, so 
Go Boston Red Sox. Let's hope we can split this series tonight. And let, 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 let's, uh, let's quell the haters a little bit because this Red Sox team is good. See you guys later.